Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talkart. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Rob? Today, Russell, I have been feeling incredibly overjoyed because I have been thinking a lot about community and the international art community that has brought so much friendship, family, love into my life. And this week, I've been in London for the first time in so long, and I kind of reinvigorated my joy and passion for London. And I was with the artist John Key, who I met through you, and then we interviewed him on Talk Art in New York, and I've also also been in Miami with him and all over the place. And it just got me thinking about how special the friendships I have that have all been formed through art. And in particular, this kind of community that, that crosses all boundaries and kind of, you know, someone like, for example, John grew up in Seal, Alabama. And like, I grew up in Maidenhead in Berkshire. And now we're like, literally like brothers. Like we had the, the most hilarious week. And the work of today's guest is we're, we're meeting a, an artist who's based in the UK, and specifically makes work about London. And also this idea of community, whether that be the kind of everyday life, you know, even just like going to the shops or getting your hair cut or, you know, a community within different parts of London and particularly black British women and black British community in in places like Brixton. And I just love her work so much. The paintings are uplifting, they're skilled, they're kind of referencing art history, but they're also taking painting to somewhere completely new and different. And thinking back to today's artist, uh, we actually briefly met um, in the most bizarre party in central Mm -hmm. London um, during (laughs) Freeze in October, which you invited me to totally unprepared. And we all met Donatella Versace herself. Mm -hmm. And it was um, a party to honour her, but there was a gang of us from London and it was a very sweet evening because Donatella wanted to celebrate the kind of current creative community within London, including today's artist. And we just had such a hilarious evening. Very sweet. Well, it was hilarious, Rob, because it was a Versace party, obviously. And most of us turned up in Versace clothing to get a photograph <laughs> with Donatella Versace. You rocked up in a Marc Jacobs sweater and Gucci trousers with the little tassel down the side, which is obviously Gucci with the G's back to front. And when we came to trying to get a photograph, <laughs> they wouldn't let us have it. To begin with, we had to actually, wait. Someone actually said to me like why are you wearing a Garfield jumper because literally my it was Garfield on my jumper and when we met her she looked at me so confused and then one of her assistants was like you wore House of Gucci to the House of Versace and it was like this (laughs) massive scandal but they wouldn't let us have the photograph for like three days in case we released it during like this Versace launch or something I know but luckily we got it in the end we met our Donatella and I love her (laughs) and next time I meet her I will be wearing Versace but also they didn't dress me Russ they dressed you it's not fair oh Oh, dear anyway we would like to welcome to talk art the most amazing painter Joy Lovinjo hi Joy hi thank you so much what a lovely introduction thank you rob um thank you russell <laughs> sorry for the ridiculousness of uh mentioning. <laughs> but <laughs> do you remember that night that was just that was just a mental night wasn't it i do that was very fun lots of champagne was a good night <laughs> <laughs> you were there with uh rachel jones um yes. michaela yeah with dan yeah and rob talking about community they're they're kind of like your artistic community yeah definitely yeah, yeah. my girls well, they're your girls well, they're, they're incredible girls um where are you in the world right now? I'm in London, uh, in my flat in Dalston. Oh, you're in Dalston because your yeah. studio is in Brixton. No, um, I've moved. It's in like Haringey Warehouse District. Oh, okay. So you're east. East, yeah. Yeah, oh, great. Cool. When when did you leave the studio in South London? Uh, September. 
So I made the Brixton piece there. That was really important. And then I, I moved. I needed more space. Of course you did, because you're a huge mm. success, Joy. <laughs> you're a big deal. Your word's not mine. <laughs> so you're, you're, you are a big deal. And you're 27 now, 28? 27. 27. And just like completely killing it. So you grew up in Dagenham. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Romford originally yeah. i went to barking college i got thrown out after a year i'm sure you didn't have that same educational experience but how did you find <laughs> how did you find art in dagnum because i look back at that time there and there was nothing you know what i don't think i did right. i don't remember being so i moved when i was 10 or 11 and up until that point i don't think i was very interested in art um i like school and reading um but I don't remember any art in Dagenham. No, I, yeah, I think that's probably still the sense. case. No, it's not. <laughs> it's oh, not, no, guys. you're right. No, the, it's now like a place of culture. Like, oh, I think Barking the Serpentine, is, yeah. yeah, and Serpentine have done a lot down there. Like, Hans Ora Cobras actually invited us to go there, I think. That is true. Um, to Dagenham? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Barking <laughs> and Dagenham's having like a big um, culture resurgence with like yeah. the Serpentines involved and there's it's becoming like a hub. And you Amazing, know, what? I think the, lo the local MP there is like really behind the arts and has got this idea, actually, that, that art can change lives, um, you know, through community um, kind of work in a sense. So it's actually really, really positive. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing um, thing, actually. I think it's great. Yeah, definitely. So you were there till the age of 11? Yeah, about 11. Um, and then we moved to Stevenage. And I remember starting year five in Stevenage, so about 10, 11, yeah. Right, right, right. And then you studied in Newcastle. That's where you trained in yes, art. Yes, yeah. And you went there, at, that's like 18, you went there, or was it 16? 18. And what was, yeah. what was, why Newcastle? And what was the art scene like there? Obviously, we've got Anthony Gormley's Angel of the North in Gateshead. Yeah. And, and there's a, a great institution there, which I know you have a real kinship with. But <laughs> what was, why Newcastle? Um, so Stevenage is half an hour from London. And um, I knew I wanted, like, a traditional university experience, um, like, not so much UAL. Um, like, I wanted to go to an, an actual university with people doing courses that weren't art. Um, so it, I, it was partly the league tables, and Made in Chelsea was really big then, <laughs> and Proudlock went to Newcastle. Um, and I remember, like, looking him up on Wikipedia and seeing that he did fine art at Newcastle. And maybe that's when I discovered Newcastle that and the league tables. And then I applied properly. But yeah, I think maybe because I'm proud of it. <laughs> that's actually hilarious, like pop culture <laughs> reference to get you to where you are. I wonder if, if Proudlock has any idea that he was a catalyst for your career. I don't think so, no. <laughs> he does now. So, so why did you want to do a course where other people weren't doing art? Because, um, hmm, I think it's partly because in my group of friends and like my upbringing, I was the one interested in art and I'd always been around people that did other subjects and I really enjoyed what we both gave each other. Hmm. Um, and I just kind of assumed I was only going to go to university once, um, and I just wanted the traditional campus experience. It does have an art school within the university that's separate, like they kind of operate um, within themselves. Right. And I would, basically all my time was spent there. It was basically just like art school. Um, but it meant that now I have friends that are engineers, uh, doctors, like a mix of things. And I find that really interesting. Mm. I bet, yeah, I bet that all feeds into your your image making because it's all the, the figure is very important and is it, is it right to say that like a rediscovered family photo album of like 90s photos kind of changed everything for yeah, your definitely. practice so what, yeah, what is um, the story with that I was in my fourth so it was a four-year course oh I also wanted to go to Newcastle because they have um, an Erasmus program so I went to Vienna for a semester which was great oh, explain cool. what that is what's Erasmus program um, well, we don't have it anymore because of Brexit. Um, but I got to study at the Angavante, which is an art school in Vienna, and students part of the Erasmus program in different countries could come to Newcastle. Um, and I really wanted to go to Paris. I 
you know, we just read lots of books and movies. And I was really um, taken with Paris, but Vienna was the closest on the list when I when I was ready to go. Um, so I went there for six months and oh lived there and went to university there, which was really good. Wicked. And what did, did, did you see a lot of culture in Vienna, obviously, because it's such a kind of historic place. There's so many great museums and especially paintings there as well. Yeah, definitely. And so I went in my third year and at that point I wasn't loving art. Um, I guess this is maybe the problem when you go to a university university rather than an art school. Mm. It was quite academic and um, your marks really mattered. And it just felt like this each week it was like, what have you done now? What have you done now? Um, Whereas, and I, it was hard to make new things each week, but that's not how an artist works. But it was really good in other ways. I was just kind of really struggling with that education format. And then I went to Vienna and they don't mark anything. <laughs> um, you're just kind of left to your own devices. Um, you study under an artist, but they don't teach you. We taught each other. Um, we went to a lot of exhibitions. Um, I was in the studio all the time, more than I ever have have been um and you could drink in the studio which I think is great for creativity yeah (laughs) it was very loose um but exactly what I needed when I'd hit that kind of that wall when I just wasn't loving art anymore oh my god that's amazing what would you drink beer interest they had a beer vending machine (laughs) a beer vending machine yeah in the in the university yeah Genius. Well, so Erasmus was uh, like a 16th century philosopher. And I think I know Erasmus through Hans Holbein painted him uh, a couple of times. They were like friends, weren't they? When they were kind of hanging around at some point in the 16th century. Well, really? And, they, and, they, and they've yeah. given that, that his name to that kind of year off or that or that year out or whatever. No, the Erasmus is Erasmus is obviously uh, was a real person. Who's, oh, I understand no that. I didn't know that. Yeah, Erasmus is a real person. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that must be why they gave that name, though. To, yeah, he must what, have like supported ideas of like traveling to educate people. Well, something. he changed the way the thinking in, in cultural thinking in in that time of history. Yeah. I didn't know so that. it's a shame that because of Brexit, other people aren't going to have that experience. Because mm-hmm. that, that feels like obviously the way you're talking about it, you, you've lit up. That changed your life. It basically. really did. It was really valuable and at exactly the right time. Um, in Newcastle, you'd people would say you're doing a Mickey Mouse degree because there were these academic subjects. And in Vienna, the arts are so valued. Um, As students, we were so respected. And that was such a weird but valuable experience. And can you remember things that you saw that that maybe like took you on a journey to sort of reignite your passion for painting or making art? Um, I think it was just the freedom to make art without the marks Hmm. mattering. Um, and just being able to experiment and teach each other, teach each other, um, and self-led crits. I remember going to the Leopold Museum, but I can't remember what I saw. And we'd um, so it was quite a small course. They take us to local exhibitions mm. in the area um, to meet artists and just be involved in the community, um, which was yeah, it was just an amazing experience. Where did the rediscovery of your family photo album from the 90s come into this? So I got back to Newcastle and apparently nearly failed the year because there was a a gap in the marking. The gap, um, there was a gap in things that I needed to pass in Vienna that weren't quite recognised in Newcastle. Um, So I didn't do very well, but I wasn't scared because I knew that I'd learned so much um, and that the third year wouldn't affect my grades. I still had another year to fix things. But I got back not really knowing what to do with all of this new information. Um, And whilst I was in Vienna, I did my dissertation on the Black British artists of the 1980s. And that allowed... Black British art movement. This is like Lena Hibbid and Sonia Boyce. And and Sonia Boyce, yeah. Yeah. Donald Rodney. Um, And that allowed me to see myself in art, which I hadn't before. Um, and I still don't know what I was making, probably nonsense. And then I went home at Christmas in my final year and grabbed the album and came back and just ran with it. Um, and that's what ended up being in my degree show. Um, so I'd take the figures from the photograph and just kind of collage them with color and pattern and wasn't aware of what I was doing, but 
that was a really pivotal moment. Was you painting the figure before that? Yes, but a lot of nudes and self-portraits. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting, you were painting the nudes, then you've gone on to clothed members of your family and friends. And, yes. And now, your most recent show, you've gone back to very large-scale nudes. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that kind of, was you always resisting going back to that or have you always been waiting and biding your time because you knew that that was going to be a body of work you were ready to go back to? A bit of both. Right. Um, so I've always been interested in the nudes. Um, my love of painting began with Freud and Jenny Savile. Mm. Um, but I think in university and before, I think I was doing it to be to kind of emulate them and not really thinking about uh what it would mean for me to to do it i i've always enjoyed it but i didn't understand where i fitted in in art history if nudes were what i was doing um so within all the other work nudes are what i go back to when i'm kind of stuck and working through ideas but i've never shown them to anyone um and lagos felt like the right time and that i knew enough art history and felt okay with them myself to show them to the world. But it wasn't new for me. And this That's is brilliant. Lagos in Nigeria? Yes, yeah. And your parents are Nigerian? They are, yeah. So it feels like looking at your career, there's been a whole series of meant to be. You went to Newcastle, and the biggest institution in Newcastle is the Baltic. Mm-hmm. Your first institutional show was at the Baltic. Yeah. You moved to South London, your studio's in Brixton. You get the biggest commission for a Brixton space. <laughs> yeah. There. You then want to, you know, honour your parents and their heritage. You have an institutional show in Lagos in Nigeria where your show is on now. This this feels like a it's meant to be. You have a series of of blessings that have come your way in your career so far. And you're only twenty seven. What does that feel like? Ooh, um, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely felt that everything's meant to be and it's kind of all happened at the right time um and I'm so fortunate that that's been the experience what does it feel like um in the moment day to day it feels amazing I'm just painting and doing what I love so I don't think I always realize how significant and big these opportunities have been Mm. um it's when I talk to other people and read press that I am like whoa (laughs) Um, yeah, sometimes overwhelming. Um, yeah, but it's also good to be recognised. Um, it's a really weird. Yeah, I don't know. And what's it like being, um, you know, e- exhibiting currently in Lagos? Um, have you been back and forth there? Like in the pandemic, were you able to travel there? Have you travelled there a lot throughout your life, or, or was it something new for you? Um, it wasn't new. Um, so a lot of my cousins live in Lagos and we take turns with us visiting and them coming to to England um I used to go a lot when my parents were just paying for free child tickets um (laughs) (laughs) when we became uh I think it's over 12 um and it was adult tickets the prices just suddenly shot up like to go to Lagos Nigeria now is really expensive like what how much is it about a grand oh my god yeah I mean it varies with with seasons but yeah sometimes it can be 400 but you also don't really want to go when it's 400 you know um they're priced with events and christmas yeah yeah. Yeah. um so i think i didn't go for about 10 years and then i went in december 2020 just before the pandemic not not during the pandemic and then just now was the the last time and and the show you have there now is a, a series of news, as you said. Yeah. Was that kind of what is the scene like there? Is is the scene recognizing news? Is that quite risk taking to do a show like that? These large scale naked portraits, or yeah, okay. So it's hard to explain. Um, huh. Lagos is a very cosmopolitan. Um, kind of wild city um a lot of music videos are made there afro beats are really big um the dancers and the 
music videos are very sexy. When people go out, they dress in like clubbing attire that we'd wear wear here. Um, but then there's this kind of dissonance and judgment where sex and desire are very shamed. Well, this is this is my perception. Um, sex and desire are very shamed. Women's bodies are policed. Um, it's a very patriarchal society at the same time. Um, so I knew that I was really scared to take the works to Lagos. I was I wouldn't be scared showing them in London. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was really worried about what the perception would be. Um, people in the arts, I knew that that would be fine because there's an art historical understanding um I was more worried about the perception of the general public um, and what my family would think yeah <laughs> and what what is it what's it the reception been or from your family and yeah from the general public um general public has been great um they've loved it and I completely underestimated what it would do for black women to see my body I was kind of thinking of myself when I made the works um but a lot of women have said it's been amazing to see bodies that resemble them on that scale, um, which has been great to hear. Um, my family, I mean, some didn't know what to make of it, but overall they did love it and enjoyed seeing other people love it. Yeah, cool. Right. Um, my aunties and uncles came first and were really worried about my grandma seeing the show. Um, but I said, I can't uninvite her. There's no way she'd accept I can't uninvite her. She won't accept it. No, of course. Um, take a picture and show her and see what she says. And she said, it's Joy's show. Um, I want to support her career. I'm going. And she brought like 10 friends. Wow. Like 10 80-year-old um, Nigerian women. <laughs> and they loved it. <laughs> so I, Brilliant. Yeah, I couldn't judge. It was, yeah, maybe all my nerves were unnecessary. It went down really well. Oh, well done. That's so fucking... Oh, sorry. That, that's so cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just thinking, that though, that the, the, the paintings are so dignified and they're so... There's this real sense of, like, sort of strength and um, self-acceptance and a kind of peace, in a way, in the work. And it's 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 not like they're, like, highly sexualized paintings or anything. They're they're, they're really kind of intimate very personal moments and I and, and and you really do feel this sense it's interesting even thinking about Jenny Savile but there's some sense of like you know facing yourself as an artist you know in the mirror in the painting that's mm. almost like coming to terms with y- yourself as an adult or something like mm-hmm. I, and yeah. that's possibly why I think it's being so widely um accepted and loved because the paintings are so extraordinary dig- extraordinarily dignified yeah, definitely. And I was thinking about all of those things um, when I made the work. And in some ways, it was just kind of letting go of a desire to be slimmer or be more this or be more that. Mm. Um, and ju- just embracing my body as I am now. And it was, yeah, a really kind of therapeutic experience to to make those works. Mm. It's, there's, it made me, I started reading up about the difference between in, in art of the nude and a naked body and and the nude is posed and it's there to be um you know fascinated about to look at what the human figure could be and 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 nakedness is just being unclothed and your Mm. paintings to me feel like they're posed but they have this naked rawness as well that is that is it is posed it is held to be admired to be you know you're giving us a permission to stare but also there's this fragility that is owned in them there's that like rob's saying there's this absolute strength that is like present so you're posed but i'm present it's really unique like unique energy i think it's unique as well i agree thank you that's great to hear (laughs) yeah and i i think also as well which is really striking with your work when you come to it is the way that you paint the flesh the way that they're the figures are made up and it, it reminds me of you know when you're flying back home you look at the plane and it's the patchwork of the fields Mm. Or like a patchwork quilt, the way that the the flesh is made up is is really, again, unique to you. Um, I I do want to quote something you said about one of your uh, third year tutors saying that the, it looked like you were painting by numbers. Yeah. Which as soon as I read that, <laughs> I was like, I could see that, but also it, it's so not that at the same time. But but you said that this was an interview for uh, I think it was Freeze Magazine. I think you you talked to Claudette Johnson. Was yeah. It that? It's, yeah. Yeah. And um you said you were like devastated at the time but it's it is this kind of really unique way of of showing flesh showing the skin 
Where did that come from? This cu- it's like a cubist sort of feel. Um, I, I have no idea in the sense that I wasn't trying to paint that way. It just kind of happened. Um, it was when I was in my third year of uni and I admit the earlier ones were probably a lot more like painting like numbers. Um, but I think I did just see colors as, as blocks, um, less of a gradient, um, and maybe because I was using a lot of photography, that's just kind of what happened. But it feels really instinctive. Mm. Totally. But you also, you talk about um, this chiseled brush that you you love that sort of yes. goes into the paint. So it gives this kind of fragmented uh, line yeah. that cuts through. Why? How did you find this brush? And it seems like this is your kind of magic wand. yeah I think it is um I'm not sure how I found it I think maybe I just bought a set of brushes and the angled flat brush is what did what I wanted it to do and now that's that's what I use but for Lagos I did use some slightly different ones mainly because it they were just so big yeah um the smaller brushes weren't doing it but yeah that's my brush and painting's always been your go-to thing did you ever work in any other medium when you was at art school that nope i hated it i hated really? that we were forced to to try other things because you work you work on paper and you paint on yes. paper and you do you always sketch before you go to canvas no uh i might draw the outline in paint but not not a detailed sketch or anything amazing um <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a sketchbook or anything. The paintings are are everything. So you've just got back from Wales. Yes. Um, this is eight o'clock at night. You must be exhausted. Thank you so much for talking to us. But you've just opened a show at um, an institute. It's your first institute in Wales that you've mm-hmm. done a show. Um, and there's something about the show which is called Ode to Olayuda Equiano. Yeah. And... There's something about your work which I think is always the best artist. They teach you things you didn't know. And this is this is a character in history, an Edwardian uh, history, a, a mm-hmm. black man that has been, I guess, overlooked or, or, or isn't as present as he should be in history books. And there was um, another woman that I came to called Sarah Forbes Bonetta. Again, yeah. was a, a portrait you did. And these are characters that probably, shameably, I don't know that should have been part of my kind of... Uh, eurocentric history lessons Mm -hmm. but these um figures i've discovered through your practice and that's a gift that artists can do but how important is that side of um your kind of uh, messages that come through your work yeah um i didn't know about them till i stumbled upon them and decided to make work about them um and it was more just thinking that it's a real shame that this isn't part of the history that we're taught in schools. Um, And I just think that's a disservice to all of us, really. Mm. Um, But the messaging, I mean, now that there's limits with what teachers can teach in school and what they can say aside from the curriculum, um, I just really appreciate the gentle approach art has to being able to introduce people to um different stories and histories Mm. um ultimately it is it's just a painting but i do hope that and it has happened that people become curious about who they are and do their own research and um yeah i just think that's not to be undermined and is a really powerful tool yeah could could you talk about sarah forbes bonetta that story is phenomenal um so i I think I had heard her name in passing before, but I stumbled upon a thread um, about her on Twitter a couple of years ago. Um, And she was, hmm. (laughs) she was enslaved um, and was bought by a captain called Captain Forbes, which is where her name comes from. Um, But my understanding is he didn't make her work. He he um, 
taught her how to read and write and really valued her as an individual. Um, and he was quite good friends with Queen Victoria. And through that friendship, Queen Victoria became Sarah Forbes Bonetta's unofficial godmother. And there are letters between the two of them that still exist today. Um, I think we can, you can see a couple online and in a museum that I'm not sure about. Um, but it was just the fact that that could happen that I just found so interesting. Mm. Um, and they stayed close throughout um, Sarah Forbes Bonetta's life. Um, Queen Victoria was interested in the lives of her children and her life as a grown woman. Um, and that was around the time that um, Harry and Meghan uh, were, were married. And I, right. yeah, and I just found the contrast between the, the two really interesting, especially as that was 300 years ago, you know? Yeah, and an unexpected notion for Victorian, with Queen Victoria to have sort of shown that, I guess, parenthesis, empathy at the time. Definitely. And it has existed. Yeah, that was, but it's, yeah, again, you've made her exist for me. I've now seen her. And who who is uh, Olada Equiano? Yeah, um, I think it's Olauda Equiano. Olauda, yeah. Yeah. um, He is a really interesting, uh, well, was a really interesting man. His story sounds like fiction, really. Um, he, so he wrote, oh, where do I start? He wrote a book, a memoir, called The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Ola Uda Equiano or Gustavus Vassa. Um, and he, his, his book was a memoir and basically tells the story of him um, being captured in what is now um, Ibo land in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. and transported across the Atlantic to Barbados, where he was sold as a slave and taken to Virginia. Um, he was enslaved in Virginia, and then his owner came to England, London, and took him with him. And then he was resold again and taken back to America, where his owner in America said he could buy his freedom if he could raise £50. And his owner didn't think that he'd be able to raise the money um but he did and bought his freedom um from then he sailed across he worked as a sailor for a bit before landing in england and settling um and he was an abolitionist um a writer like really successful he did book tours with his book um and was really well regarded in society and he claims that he he isn't anyone special that he just got lucky but i think that story is quite extraordinary extraordinary yeah, yeah. and it's kind like? of unknown what he looks like so ode tiek mano is the title for the exhibition because there's a painting of a man in a red jacket yeah and for the longest time i thought that was him it's what Penguin have used for the front cover of the reprints of his book. And it's the image that shows up if you Google him. Um, but it's just, it's uncertain who made the painting and it's uncertain who the portrait is of. Um, it's now just called Portrait of an African. Um, and I I wanted to do the exhibition as well because I just found it really interesting, like the lack of accuracy in the archives um and how this figure is kind of interchangeable with other black um writers at the time right hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Right. Gosh. What, what an amazing man. And what he sounded so humble as well. I mean, it's in, I don't know, he sounds incredible. Yeah. I think I've, I've told his history very bad. Um, but yeah, there's a lot online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can all research it though. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah. What What is it like doing institutional shows i mean the pressure of doing the baltic what what was that like i mean how you were 25 then yeah i think 24 i think i was 24 oh, <laughs> so your first institutional show is mm-hmm. the baltic in newcastle i mean what what pressure is that that you have and how do you stay focused i was terrified um and i I knew it was such a big opportunity and also the fact that I was 24, I really wanted to do a good job because I didn't want that to be the reason that they didn't let someone else who was 24 have a solo show there. So it pressure. felt like a One lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually in Gateshead, but yeah, within Newcastle um, and because it felt like a homecoming as well, I was also really nervous. Um, but in the end, I didn't have a lot of time to to, to, like, to sit in the nerves too much. Um I had about four months to make the show and calculated that if I did a painting a week in that time, that that would, that would be enough for the exhibition. So it was just go, go, go. Wow. They don't actually take a week. It was kind of four a month Mm. flipping between different works, but yeah, I had no time to fill. I just needed to get the work done. Is that something you you work on? Oh, sorry. Is that something you do a lot? Like painting numerous canvases at once and then you can leave one, rest it, go to Mm -hmm. another, and then return? Yes. Um, It's just, it's because the paint takes a while to dry. And I paint in layers to get the clean lines and the the flatness. The paint needs to be dry before the next layer goes on. And I realized quite early on that if I actually do just paint one at a time, I'm never going to finish. <laughs> I'm never going to finish anything. So normally I'll work on three or four at a time and then, yes, yeah, start the next set. And is that in acrylic or oil? Oil. It must be acrylic. Oh, it's oil, really? Yeah. Because oil takes ages to dry. Yeah, I use this medium called liquid, which means mm, I can do a layer at 7 a.m. and by 7 p.m. I can do another one. So like 12 oh. hours drying time. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, well, I guess I'm not an art. I'm I mean, I don't. Painting. They're never <laughs> technically not dry, but dry enough to to keep yeah, going. Okay. Yeah. Right. Is that frustrating though? I mean, if that was me, and I'm in the zone, and then I have to stop and wait for it to dry, I'd go nuts. It was worse when I didn't have the medium that that speeds things up. Um, but yeah, but working on more than one keeps things exciting. Yeah. Um, I sometimes get bored of painting a specific thing, so it's nice to be able to switch. Yeah. And why oil for you? Because, I mean, a lot of painters who, you know, in, in the way that you're making a painting by the sounds of it, I was going to imagine you were using acrylics. Mm-hmm. But is there a reason why you chose oil? Because it's such a specific sort of surface, isn't it? For sure. I think acrylic would make more sense. But I learned how to paint using oils, really, um, mm. and was told off in university for using acrylic. Were you? Yes. Apparently, real artists don't use acrylic. Um, no, I mean, I, I've heard that too. I, heard that in the, in <laughs> I know 90s. that that's not true at all. No, I know um, it's not true at all. But in yeah. the 90s, when I was at school, I, I didn't study art, but I remember my friends saying the same thing. And yeah. it being this kind of like hierarchy and respect for oil painting. Mm-hmm. And it, people see it as like harder or something because it's like yeah. more technical or something. No but, acrylic but and it... no black paint. Those were the, the rules. Oh, right. No yeah. what? No what? Black paint. See, what you had, to, what, what would you use instead of black then? Blue, red, green. You just try and make as dark a colour you can without using black. I mean, I use black paint. I ignored a lot of rules. Um, so, yeah, good. Wow. I mean, yeah. what, what, what is that about? Why do people not... I think weird. it's because it makes... It's just obvious that it's black, black and can look a bit cartoony, oh, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas a mixed black is a bit softer. Um, but I mean, if you want the black to, to do that, then I, I was like, if I know what I'm doing, then surely it's fine. Yeah. Well, you yeah. also use household paints, don't you? That's your... I did. Oh, you did? I did. At university. Right. In, pa- in the past, right? In the past. <laughs> all those, all past. those, all those years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was just, um, a financial decision and not knowing how to, um, use oil paint to paint big areas. Mm-hmm. 
it's quite easy to to paint a face but when the painting gets larger it's I I was still learning what mediums I needed to mix the oil paint with to to get it loose enough to paint the surface area so I think my consistency is still that of household paint if that makes sense but I learned how to do that with oil so another one of your um, kind of major achievements is um, a new commission which, which, which launched last November. And last night at this dinner I held in Margate for loads of um, artist friends, including John Key, who I mentioned in the opening um, of this episode, mm-hmm. um, I said I was interviewing you today and they all cheered and everyone knew your work from, oh, amazing. Brixton, from the Brixton Underground. And it's really fascinating to me that artists in America like heard about you because of you know, the mural in Brixton Underground. There's something quite iconic, I think, about doing something so public in the London Underground. And can you speak about this incredible commission? And it's also how I first heard about your work as well. It was called Five More Minutes. And it's a large-scale public commission that's still there for everyone listening. Until November. Until November, which is really exciting. And Brixton Underground's had a series of artists over the past few years. We've interviewed um, Denzel Forrester before, who who did one as well. But can you speak about the, the whole journey of making Five More Minutes? Yeah, um, so I think I met with Art on the Underground in 2020, uh, just before the pandemic, Um, and they invited me to make the commission, and that was also another moment that I was just like, whoa, this is amazing, Um, because um, I just kind of moved to Brixton in the January of that year, and I'd seen Indijeka, Akinuli Crosby's, and Denzel Foresters, and it was very much like, why do you want me to do it? <laughs> like, they're amazing artists. Um, uh, yeah, and then things went quiet with the pandemic, um, and then I started making it just as we were coming out of lockdown, like, last spring, summer, um, and just felt really overwhelmed with what the composition should be, what the subject matter should be. Um, And just kind of brought it back to the fact that there is a reason they asked me. Um, Mm. I work in Brixton. I live down the road from Brixton. Um, I felt that I had quite a good understanding of Brixton. So just kind of made, um, made, decided to make a work of my experience of Brixton, which I knew would also be the experience of so many other like mainly black women in Brixton, but um, I thought it would be a good opportunity to make something where the black community could really see themselves reflected in the work. Mm. Um, So I started with two two paintings, Um, one kind of a living room family scene, kind of speaking to the Windrush generation. Um, It was kind of timeless, maybe in the 80s or 90s, and I was doing the salon scene simultaneously, not really sure which one would end up being being the piece because it felt like too much pressure to just do one one work and hope that that was it. Yeah. Um, and about halfway through both, um, my friend came to the studio and she was like, no, leave this, leave this family one. The salon scene is Brixton. And from then it was all guns blazing. Um and the salon scene was the one I made. But it was really hard because I couldn't go to a salon when I was making the work. Um, it was what I'd remembered from my visits, um, stills from videos and just an amalgamation of sources. Um, yeah. Wow, so it's kind of a work based through memory and kind of it's your physical archive. experience mm-hmm. all through memory because yeah. of the pandemic, I'm because guessing. Because of the pandemic, yeah. Because of COVID. Oh, wow, yeah, because yeah, all the hair salons got shut, didn't they? yeah. I, I, the reason I love it so much is because I think it's such a it's 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 such a kind of everyday moment, um, you know, and and it, it it is something that everyone can relate to in in a sense, mm-hmm. but obviously particularly um, black women. But also you have this this baby on like sitting on the floor, and and there's kind of like this journey through life, like which is something that I think can happen in that kind of a place like the idea that you're growing up I, even I remember being a kid and when you go and get your first haircut or or you know and my sibling at the time um, we used to go and get a haircut together and they're, they're really kind of amazing magical memories but it's such a simple thing and also like the the hair braiding and um yeah the, the kind of representation of that in a painting like I hadn't really seen that before oh, yeah. it, it's, it's such yeah. a great I don't know it's a great it image. might be a beautiful image but it's also 
a testament to Brixton and to kind of the Afro-Caribbean community yeah. and the fact that these salons have survived gentrification of Brixton. because Brixton That is what I don't understand. <laughs> but, but it just shows how important they are to the community yeah, that they've, exactly. they've stayed yeah. there. Yeah, they're, they're financially stable, stable mm-hmm. businesses. because they're, they're And so, so loved used. and people just yeah, go there, not, exactly. not always to do their hair, just to sit down yeah. and have a chat. Yeah. And prior to this, this was the biggest canvas you'd ever made it isn't the same size that was scaled up i think it still is is it yeah um it's maybe four meters long and three wow wow wait three high four four in width yeah but did you have to do that because that was what you wanted to do or they said you have to make a canvas that big for us to scale it up to be the perfect kind of pixelation it has to be done to scale um oh right but it could have been a quarter of the size i did it i just I just thought that it would look better if it didn't have to be scaled up too much. Mm. And I fancied a challenge and it, it was a challenge. <laughs> Did you ever think of Kerry James Marshall's uh, kind of uh, salon one he has, doesn't he? he there's that yeah. amazing painting I saw at the Met. I think you've seen it as well, Rob, of of the uh, the interior of a hair salon. Oh, yeah. No, of course I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I thought of that and um, Hervin Anderson's uh, barbershop. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think what I love about it, though, is the, the you know, black bl- British history and black British yeah. life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that, that there are so many artists now being given, you know, a platform to actually show British culture of all kinds, you know. And, and it, it, it's really, really important. And thank God for like Labena Hamid and, you know, the black British art movement of the mm-hmm. 80s, who we've spoken to before on the show. But like, um, what, what does it feel like, you know? Have, have your friends responded to it? Like um, your family? Like, you know, I, I imagine it's a real source of pride for the whole community there. Yeah, um, my family love it. My parents rush down, rush down to see it. Um, my friends love it and they're really proud. Um, my friends that still live in Brixton tell everyone that they're friends with me and I love that. Ah, um, <laughs> yeah. They're really proud. Um, and it was it was really important to me that people of all races could enjoy the work like it's at, it's in a public space it's you're seeing it on your way to work I also wanted yeah. something that could make people smile um on their way um and would also look good from the streets I think you, you get the best view across the road on the street looking into the station mm. um that's a tip yeah. for people going to see it across the road and looking. <laughs> across yeah. the road and looking. <laughs> do you feel like you're part of a, a community like a, a movement of artists right now that are kind of shaping art history you know like we're talking about labana and and black british art movement then it feels Mm -hmm. like now there's so many especially female black british artists that are really changing the game or female identifying and 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 non-binary black british artists that contemporary that are really changing the game yeah definitely um yeah you mentioned michaela and rachel earlier and um a lot of the black artists i know in London are female and painters um and are all doing amazing things although quite different Mm. um I mean I guess we are aware that things are going quite well but I don't think we're I don't think it's it will be other people that kind of how they maybe write about us or see us in the grander scheme of things um but I'm yeah yeah I'm not sure I don't feel they're, I feel like they're, they're, they're my friends um, and there is something special happening. But in terms of a movement, I don't know. I think it's a few years into the future that people look back and yeah, realise. Yeah. I guess the most important thing is to be able to be supported enough in order to keep making your work and to Definitely. have the platform and the space to share that work. I mean, Rachel's current show at the Chisholm is, is an extraordinary moment for her. And, um, and I also said to Zoe Whitley, I just think it's so brilliant that Zoe, you know, selected Rachel as an artist because I think these days as young painters as young artists everyone gets kind of snapped up so quickly and ends up in auction so quickly and all of these yeah. you know it's all about the money and all about the hype but actually what artists need is is caring curators you know caring gallerists caring collectors who can actually support them in order to keep developing and pushing their practice yeah definitely um, is that something that, that that you feel you have like that kind of support and care yeah um yeah, my gallery are great. Tuani are are really great. Um, and working with Hannah Firth, the curator at Chapter Gallery, has been really great. And Emma Dean, who was the curator at the Baltic, has been really great. I do feel like I have been really supported at every stage throughout this journey. Um, 
and I've had great collectors collect my work from from the beginning, which is great. That's how having a career has you know kind of been possible as well. Um, and I guess the auction, the auction and things are what happens when things are also going well. <laughs> yeah. It's a really weird, mm. yeah, yeah, side effect. <laughs> It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because it shows one thing, but then it also can be really frustrating for establishing yourself and it can force you into the limelight quicker than your work is prepared to be seen on that scale because it then becomes about, like, you know, speculation and everything. Mm -hmm. How have you, you know, I'm sure your gallery's been brilliant, but how has that been for you? Like, the pressures of demand, of being, being an artist that people want to collect and support? Um, hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, the gallery, uh, don't put pressure on me. They're really great. Um, but maybe I put a bit of pressure on myself. Um, I mean, they take as long as they take, but I would like everyone that wants one to eventually be able to have one. Um, <laughs> And it's, uh, yeah, I was talking to Hannah from Chapter about this. Um, it's it's weird because you do a show and you only make 10, 10 paintings maybe. Um, and it's great knowing that more than 10 people want them. Mm. Um, I'm so glad I'm not the one that really picks <laughs> um, <laughs> who gets them. Um, but then it's, I feel bad that the next time someone wants one, the price has maybe gone up again. Um and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm quite a slow painter. Um, so I, I don't think I make as many as um, like some of my friends. And I feel bad in that sense as well. But yeah, they take as long as they take. And yeah. it is. is what Do you it like is. to have uh, work in your studio all times? Like you said, there's 10 paintings and they go out. Do you normally end up with a really bare studio and you start again? Or do you like yeah, to have... Yes, empty. It's empty. <laughs> You empty, you empty it out and then you start fresh every time. Mm -hmm. I emptied it for chapter um, and then I'll start again. And when they're ready, I'll normally let them go together. Uh, so they're groups. You work they're in groups. They're groups, yeah. I like seeing them as I'm making making them. And I think I may be thinking in series or I'm kind of working through an idea or a time in history. And, and you know, you said earlier that you that you don't draw, you don't have sketchbooks, things like that. Um, what happens when you have the empty canvas in front of you? I wanted to ask you earlier on in the interview, like, is that a daunting thing when you <laughs> begin a new work? And, sure, yeah. and also how your painting seems so um, sort of distinct as in like the composition, like it seems very deliberate, very strong again. Like there's this kind of, you know, the actual, comf um, I mean, on a formal level, it's just very like the image is very clear like is so when you begin do you, do you already have that vision uh firstly thank you um <laughs> sometimes um so I I'm also slow I think because I think I maybe think in equal parts as I do paint um so it's empty now but I'm I might not start painting for a couple of weeks um I might think about forms and I, I write the ideas down um and my thoughts and when I'm ready go back to the notes in my phone um but I don't doodle um so it might be a month of thinking and then when I'm ready to go um I'll just work non-stop and finish that thought but a blank canvas is really daunting yeah <laughs> so right, now, right now is your studio bare it's bare yeah and so messy. what? So now you're thinking and making notes on your phone, <laughs> not doodling. So mm -hmm. what is the next body of work, and where do you find your images from? I know that you've had this photo album, and and I've read that you look at furniture websites as well for Elemis, which is amazing. But what where what are we seeing next? Um, it's going to be nudes. Yeah. Um. So I'll have my degree show for university in um a couple of weeks. Um. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean your degree show for university? I'm studying. I do my masters. Oh, part time at the Ruskin. Oh right, are you? Yeah, I, yeah. So <laughs> the, what's the Ruskin's that, what? in Oxford University, isn't it? Yeah. So what's that oh, been cool. like? Hard. That's where Shawanda went. Shawanda Corbett went there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, Lynette was her tutor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she's Did there she... now, I think. Did she Finishing tutor you? PhD. Did Lynette Yadabiachi tutor you? No. No, right. No. But amazing. So what's yeah. that, what has it been like being a, a, an incredibly successful artist, <laughs> still, still studying, doing your yeah. MA? Oh, it's good. So it's not your fault you didn't know. I think it's kind of like on the DL. Yeah. Um... <laughs> You're so cool. Which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is that like? I mean... I I applied before the pandemic um, during the Baltic show, I think, just because I I realised what a great opportunity that was and kind of felt that if I... Um, I'd always wanted to do a master's um, and just kind of felt like if good things keep happening and I don't have, don't have the master's, it felt like at some point it, I'd maybe be out of the question because I didn't have it. Wow. Um, I didn't want it to seem that I was just kind of resting on my laurels um, and riding the wave. Um, but I had also wanted to do one, um, but couldn't afford one straight out of university and wanted a break. Um, and also my art history knowledge is so bad. I thought I should probably go back so I can, uh, I w- probably wasn't listening uh, when I was 18, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was. Nobody was. Yeah, I wasn't. Fair enough. Yeah, so this time I knew what what I wanted. What you learn when you find your passion as well. Yeah. You know, it all opens up to you. Can I ask you a question as well? You Mm -hmm. know, um, Russell mentioned furniture magazines and websites or whatever. Um, The houseplant. Because the houseplant seems to be a recurring theme. And it occasionally reminded me a bit of like um, Shio Kasaka and Jonas Woods. Like, um, I've been to their studio in LA and he was in the middle of painting houseplants. And I actually did a print with him. Um, But but I, I love this idea of the house block. It's the like fern, a recurring, isn't it? Yeah. Recurring theme. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, I really like plants. Um, I think maybe it started from, um, I was looking at the self-portrait Freud did behind a plant. Yes. Yeah. That and I made the Royal it. Academy show. I love that yeah. painting. And I've just always, I've always loved it. Um, and I think I did a copy really early on when I was at university um and it sometimes it's just an aesthetic decision like you're creating a composition and I'm I just feel it needs a plant or my source imagery I can only see the top half of a person I'm like if there's a plant at the bottom it's fine um but no I, I also just really enjoy them and it's something different with the figures what makes a perfect source image for you when you go bingo or binjo that's the one that I need. <laughs> um, uh, it varies. Um, sometimes it's the patterns of the clothing or the furniture, um, the angle of a room, um, a facial expression. Mm. So I, in a painting, I might use a few different images, one for the pattern, one for the figures, um, and it, it just started really because I couldn't imagine composition. Um, no, I couldn't imagine an interior um, and was just very bad at painting perspective and rooms, which is why they're normally just kind of straight on. <laughs> yeah, no, there's an absolute like flatness definitely yeah. in, in your in your practice that you is a celebration of that flatness is something that you really um, push. Yeah, I've made it work for me because, like, they'd be like this point, and the line should be coming off at this angle. And I was like, I don't understand. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I'm just going to do it my way. Like, it's a painting. It's not real anyway. Okay, so your degree show is next for the Ruskin, yes. and that's actually going to be at the Ruskin in Oxford. Yes, but so I'm just going to do a bigger body of work than the degree show. So that so the nudes form part of the degree show and mm-hmm. beyond. So it stretches beyond, yeah. beyond the degree show. Okay, Definitely. amazing. And do you know where your next exhibition is? Um, no, no. And I'm I'm really glad because the last three years have been boom, boom, boom. Um, but I don't know what's next, and I just really feel like I need some downtime. Yeah, I mean, although fair enough. if anyone's listening and wants to offer me a show, still offer. But what's the, dream, what's the dream? What's the dream space? <laughs> what's the dream space? What, what institutions would you like to do, and where internationally is like the dream? 
because you it seems like all you've got to do is move there and then and then you'll, <laughs> and you'll get a show you know wherever you are now Quickly you said you are now a local hero where you are now in east london i'm sure they're already it's like oh yeah we'll give there's an institution just down the road you're gonna have a show there um i'd like to have an institutional show in london or just another show in london because i haven't showed in london for a few years um but i don't know where. When was the last time at your gallery at Tawani? Yeah, at Tawani yeah. in 2018, I think. Right. So it's it's been a while. Um, not sure where. And also New York. I really, really want to have a show in New York. What sort of space? Where 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 would you where's the dream? Uh I don't know, just a big space with lots of light flooding oh, sorry, lots of light flooding in. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I kind of picture a warehousey kind of space but i haven't been to new york as an adult so i have no context for this show i just really want to have a show in new york you definitely already have fans there i know them so amazing <laughs> I'm sure there's a way it, it'll happen very soon and I, I i think you're right you probably need time just to like sit in the studio have a bit of downtime yeah and just and experiment. Not have to constantly work for deadlines yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly what what did what oh. does an experiment feel like or look like for you then when you're experimenting um I think it's just the uh, the idea that it doesn't have to work. Sometimes it, it might work, but just room for failure. Um, just this doesn't have to go anywhere. Um, it doesn't have to be the painting in the exhibition. Mm-hmm. I can just play with colour or spend a couple of weeks on a painting and it's not time wasted. It's, Yeah. And it doesn't have to go out in the world. I and mean, it doesn't do you, have to go out in the world. Do you yeah. do you destroy work or do you just archive things or um most of the work I've made has been shown in some way or form. Um I've kept a couple and not shown them, but they might be on Instagram. And I d- yeah, I do destroy work. Do you? Occasionally, yeah. But how do you do that? Just attack it with a pair of scissors and uh, this is quite bad. I sometimes just throw it in the bin. I just unstretch it and put it in a black bag. <laughs> no way! So in the rubbish dump, someone's going to go down <laughs> there and find yeah. these masterpieces. <laughs> no, but they're not masterpieces. That's why. That's why that's they're why in the they bin. Were thrown away. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might Fair enough. cut them like once so that it doesn't exist as that. But yeah, you know, we interviewed an artist. Um, recently uh, called pa- Pavlo Makov from Ukraine and he's representing Ukraine in the Venice Biennale and he was talking about this idea of like the journey to making a work and it's not always about the outcome and that all of that kind of journey is actually the bit that he loves the most mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a bit like what you're talking yeah. about yeah this kind of like experimenting trying things out that was kind of like where the joy of being an artist is and I really liked that I thought it was it's not really something you hear a lot about you know yeah. for, as someone that's not an artist um, definitely cool. so we, we ask every guest um, <laughs> is that your phone beeping <laughs> yeah but i put it on silent i don't know what's i don't know what's happening. <laughs> going through your so sorry going through your it's going through your laptop i think i think so yeah yeah sorry. you have to put it on do not disturb which is uh, uh, in the top right hand corner my There's mistake some, like, lines technology is no I, so I only know that yes yeah, same i only know that because we've been doing these a lot so I, yeah, yeah i've yeah. had the same problem um we ask every guest two questions um the first is if you could do an art heist and take home any artwork uh what would it be and i'm really interested to know like who your artistic heroes are actually see i knew this question was coming and i still <laughs> haven't got an answer uh-uh. um <laughs> there are so many art artists and artworks that i love um but I don't really, I don't want them. Um, however, I think I might still have Basquiat. Again, I don't, I don't mind what one. Um, but more because I just saw a play about him and his life story is really interesting. But if I don't steal it, I will never be able to have one. But so far out of, <laughs> out of my reach. So if I had one chance to steal something, I think that would be good good choice that's at the young Vic at the minute the play yeah 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 Paul Bettany's playing Andy Warhol and it's yeah. about amazing yeah was it good it was good yeah oh cool um so what is your favorite color do you listen to talk about anyway have you listened to any episodes I have yeah in okay, the studio 
Woo woo. Oh, good, good, good. In we, the studio. We get oh, that a lot. That's so nice. So yeah, I really enjoy them. Um, Favourite colour, cadmium orange. Oh. It's in a lot oh, of the paintings. Nice. Oh, yeah, in the clothing yeah. a lot, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I love cadmium orange. Mm. That was an easier question. That that's straight. good because that's I love that colour. Yeah. What is and what is the this is a new Brucey bonus that has slipped in the last <laughs> kind of few months. What is the best advice you have ever received when it comes to your art? Mm, protect your time, and that's not so much about the actual work itself, but it's more about giving yourself time to to make the work and not being pulled in directions that don't serve you or the work and I really hold on to that and protect my studio time because that's that's the only way the work nothing happens without the work all of these things yeah that's amazing good advice well you are you are everywhere at the minute so anybody passing through Wales or wants to make a trip to Wales uh chapter gallery in Cardiff yep in Cardiff can I just say it's only an hour and 50 minutes from London you can say that yeah just so people go. Yeah. It's not or as far any, or, as you think. Yeah, or any town. No, it's, <laughs> it is closer to you than you think, wherever mm-hmm. you are in the world. Cardiff is closer. Um, and we went to Wales, Russ. We did Hay on Wife Festival and we went down in a day. We did. We did. We went there, did the talk and came back. Wales is so brilliant. I love Wales. Yes. I love Chapter Gallery. Big up Chapter. There's that. There's Brixton, uh, Underground Station, Mural, stand the other side of the road if you want the best view, crossover. <laughs> and then if you're in Lagos in Nigeria, you have a, a show there up with Tiwani, which is their inaugural show. It's the first show in a new space that they've opened. Yeah, it's a new space, yeah. And how long is that yeah. on till? Uh, the second or third of May, I think. Second of May, great. Right. I think. Bit of time. Yeah. So awesome. you're... Well, get busy, Killing everyone. <laughs> we are, we are going to share images of all the artworks we've spoken about in today's episode, including the Brixton amazing um, mural. And um, are you on Instagram, Joy? Yeah, um, it's just my name, uh, Joy Labinjo. Okay, so it's at Joy Labinjo, and we will be linking to Joy's page. And we'll also be linking to Tawani Contemporary and Chapter and Brixton and, uh, uh, sorry, London Underground. Art <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, on the Underground, even. Uh, and big shout out to them as well, because they've always been really supportive. They've been brilliant, yeah. Them. Yeah. And, um, well, thank you so much. Thank and you. we'll be back very soon. Stick it's around, Joy. Joy. Thank to you. Talk to you, Joy. About your paintings. Joy. Thank you, you for having joy. me. We love you. Bye, everyone. Um, Bye, everyone. We'll be back soon. Bye, Joy. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.